There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. Derek here, Greg Smith sitting across from the desk from me currently judging me hard because I have not started watching Game of Thrones. Very hard. <laughs> Man, I'm stunned by this. I'm still a little thrown <laughs> off, but that's okay. I think you're more shocked by the fact that I haven't seen spoilers for like, how long has this show been on? Eight years? It has to Six, be. Six, seven, eight years. What, season seven or eight that's coming up, the final right, one. Yeah, so, yeah, I have no, it's I've, been... I have not had possible? a single point of the plot spoiled for me. That's weird. Like, do, does, like, do people close to you watch it? Like, um, yeah. Huh. I had a friend group when I was in college that watched it religiously, read the books, watched it constantly. Oh, book readers are hardcore. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, they're, yeah, they're hardcore. Yeah, it's always hardcore. Yeah. Um, I haven't had, I haven't had a single plot point spoiled. I have no idea. I'm going in with a blank slate. Though I almost like. What? Although I have seen the Adidas Ultra Boost, and I would like those. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> what you're yes. going to say? Yeah, Sorry. that would. Yes, that fits in with my brand. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, so do I. There's a few of the pairs that, that I actually want. Um, but I almost want to. When you do end up watching it, I almost want to watch it with you because you're going to be like, "Oh!" And then I should have watched this sooner. I'll just live tweet the thing. Okay. Do it. I'll do like a. Like every night at like 11 p.m., I'll watch one episode <laughs> and I'll live tweet it. Good. I thought about Good. doing that. Actually, about... I have a friend on my. There's a person on my timeline that did that. Really? To catch up. Yeah, and it was awesome. <laughs> I thought about uh, because I was obviously at the the Thunder game Wednesday during mm-hmm. Nebraska's NIT game. I thought about going back through last night and watching the game and live tweeting it. Like I was actually like it was live. Okay. Just to see what would happen. I didn't do it. I, I might still. I might still a, do it with a win. That actually would probably go pretty well. I might still do it. Yeah, that might be fun. Idea, fun idea. Go. Cool. Uh, this week on the podcast, I, we were supposed to have Mike Babcock on to talk baseball. Uh, a little bit of a scheduling conflict with him. We will get him on the podcast soon. I would like him to talk to you guys about baseball. Um, Mike is awesome. So any chance yes. I get any any chance I get to talk to him, I want to talk to him. So that is hopefully happening next week. Uh, maybe the week after but soon mike will be on so it it, is kind of like a replacement podcast i'm doing 10 minutes with each of your favorite hail varsity writers uh greg smith is up first we'll have kyle cardell later for baseball we'll have brandon vogel for some thoughts on football we'll have jacob padilla for some thoughts on that nit tournament action that i just talked about and then aaron Sorensen will be on to talk about her excuse me, latest feature in Hale Varsity Magazine and uh, basically wanting to build a statue of Johnny Trueblood in front of PBA. So we'll talk to her about that. But Greg, first things first with you, anything, we're, we're through like two weeks of spring ball. Mm-hmm. Has been anything that you have learned that, that has surprised you? Man, um, not really. No. Actually, I'm, try, I'm trying to, I'm racking my brain. I feel like the, the, to me, the surprising thing is that there just doesn't, 
seemed to be a ton of buzz around spring ball so far. And not really? that people aren't excited, but that there had, I guess uh, buzz is the wrong word. A lot of like good information coming out. I think that they've done a good job of kind of keeping things kind of bottled up because think about the questions that we had kind of coming into this. So running back, like what's happening with the running back situation. We haven't heard a ton of what's happening there. Like which receivers are stepping up. We don't know a lot there. I feel like we know a little bit more about the direction of the offensive line. Um, We know the defensive line has been pretty good. Um, Linebackers. We feel like Colin Miller is stepping into that role beside Muhammad Barry. And then secondary, we knew already that the corners were who they were with DiCaprio and Lamar. Um, But what's happening at safety, we still don't have a great handle outside of Deontay Williams on that. So I think that Mm -hmm. that to me is the takeaway that we still have a lot of questions, but we're still actually just two weeks into spring ball. Yeah. And to be fair, we've only had one open practice and we've only talked to positional coaches once so far. So. And, and players, we talked to some players, is it once or twice that we talked to some players? We talked, I don't think Ben Stilley, I think the guys that spoke at the press conference during the first week were not made available during the availability of the second week, okay. I think is. So that was only one, it's only been one availability for players yeah. since practice started. Yeah, okay. one for each set. Okay, cool. Air conditioner <laughs> turned on. Uh, yeah, one for each set. Okay. We're at that time of the year where we need air conditioning again. It's beautiful. It's great. It's beautiful. I didn't wear a coat today. I was very happy. It's great. It was like 70 degrees in Oklahoma, so it was great. Oh, jealous. Well, but it's my thing said that it's 65, high of 65 or 68 here yeah, it's today. Yeah, going to be a high of so, 61 is what No, this is, this is much better. Oklahoma just jumps from like winter to um, sweaty hot summer. <laughs> It doesn't have seasons. It's just really, really cold, or uh, you're going to sweat your butt off hot. That's so okay. Seasons here are better. <laughs> At least you know that going in. Yeah, that's true. Um, recruiting. What's happening on recruiting? That's been, It's been so <laughs> quiet. Why is it quiet? Um, it's been quiet-ish. Um, there's been things that – so, like – was it the Friday before spring break, that last practice, they had a really big recruiting day um, because they had three of their top targets for the 2020 class in. So Turner Corcoran was back for his eighth visit. Um, Blaze Gunnerson, a defensive end slash outside linebacker from Iowa, was in. And Xavier Watts, the wide receiver from Omaha Burke, was in. So that, that's a pretty big day. Um, they've had other guys in, a 2021 quarterback. Um, Roger Rosengarten, a big-time offensive lineman from Colorado, was in for the very first practice. But that's about it, right? There hasn't been like a huge number of guys, but the guys that have come in have been pretty impactful. I think part of that is is that a it's hard to get kids in for those full day visits during the spring because they're still in school, so it has to line up with maybe their spring break or in some rare cases where guys take these visits um, because they're ahead on schoolwork and they can work all of that out. Uh, but for the most part, it's really difficult to get guys in during that time. But I do think we're going to ramp up here because with the March 30th, there's a second junior day, and then obviously that spring game on April 13th. I always get the date wrong when I write it out. Um, um, it's going to be huge. There's going to be a lot of guys there for that as well. So it will pick up. Um, but like I said, it's just hard to get kids in for those full day visits during their school year. Why is there only one commit in the class right now? 
Um, <laughs> I think that there, there's a, always, to me, there's a little hesitancy um, from the 2020 guys right now to be that next guy in. And it almost feels like that guy would be the first guy because Logan Smothers has been committed for so long. Mm-hmm. So they would be the second guy. But it feels like, like guys are a little hesitant to be that next guy. But I feel like once that, whoever the next guy is, is going to start a little bit of a domino effect. But also the staff is not, I think that, I don't want to say one commit at this time of year will be the norm. I think that maybe a like three or four though is about what my expectation is for this time of year just because of the way this staff recruits and we've talked about this a lot about their relationship building and the way that they like to form lasting bonds with guys on the trail lends itself to guys taking their time a little bit more plus that this staff is not a when a guy comes in on that visit they don't sit down and say so do you have a decision for me like that's not their style they're not a pressure sale um, kind of a staff so that also makes it that way too but it's not a it's not a situation where like anyone needs to panic over that like the commitments are going to come um i think they'll come in bunches i think they'll have another big summer like another big spring summer um in recruiting i was panicking so i'm glad you told me not to panic are you really no oh (laughs) no don't panic (laughs) do not panic do not and there are a lot of guys like the other kind of thing too is that when i've said this now for about a year is that the 2020 class better than the 2019 class overall with talent so because of that you end up having to really make sure if you're the staff on which guys you want to take as well so that's part of it too because there's a lot of talent out there Hmm. the last thing i want to talk to you about you had a pretty lengthy conversation with a coach recently. It wasn't any reporting on your part, so we don't. I don't want to talk about what you talked about in that conversation, but there's one thing um, that was discussed that I would like to talk about kind of on a, in a broader scope, and that was depth of the Big Ten Conference. Yeah. And that was kind of one thing when I was talking to coaches, when I was asking them kind of what surprised you about year one in the Big Ten, Mario Verdusco told me, well depth on the defensive line and teams were able to roll new guys out and not miss a beat and I think that's one of the biggest things when you make a jump from one of the smaller conferences to a conference that is as uh, physically strong as the Big Ten is um, top to bottom like it's not enough to just have 11 guys like you can have 11 starters and be really good and not be a really good football team right. you need 22 really good players that you can roll does nebraska have that right now how far away are they from getting there man um that's a great question um i think that they are on the defensive line i think that they are there numbers wise we just don't know who's going to really step up and be the guys that you can really count on and who's really going to be disruptive Right, um, but they—I mean—you can roll seven, eight, even maybe nine deep on that defensive line. We just need to see who's going to be the guy. Um, linebacker to break it down to inside and outside. Um, inside backer. I feel like they're much closer than they are with outside backer, which is not breaking news. Um, even though, because if even with Will Honus coming back from injury, even with like Nick Henrich um, being a freshman who's still learning, you know what he needs to do out there. But he's a very good athlete. Um, I think that inside linebacker group led by Mo Berry is really good. The outside group is a work in progress, um, just because of it's it's hard to count on 
the outside linebackers with the uncertainty there because we like Tyron Ferguson, but he's got to stay healthy. Like we like Jojo Doman, but he also has to stay healthy. But you also have to see if he's going to actually still continue to play at the outside linebacker 100% of the time. Yeah. Um, Caleb Tanner um, is a guy that I still have really high hopes and expectations for moving forward. I think that he was in a situation and I think most people don't understand coming in as a true freshman that had a lot of talent and athleticism, but he came in in Nebraska last year at 210 pounds. At 210 pounds playing outside linebacker and asking him to go up against first-round picks at Wisconsin on the outside or at Iowa or insert, you know, you were saying good Big Ten line play mm-hmm. teams, like that's really unfair. So, so expect him, I expect him to make a jump, but it was going to be difficult for what you saw last year for him to be that guy right away. And then they have to continue to de- develop depth out there. Um, secondary, I feel good about. Like, I actually, I think that secondary, I think, is the spot where I would feel most comfortable saying that they are there. But even with that being said, we still don't know who that other safety is next to Deontay Williams, um, assuming that Deontay Williams grabs a hold of that job. And there are multiple candidates to fill that other slot that you really like. Mm-hmm. Like you hear a lot of good things about Markel Dismuke um, and the progress that he's making. They've got to get Cam Taylor on the field, um, and safety could be that spot for him. And there's other guys. And then you have the guys that are coming in this summer as well, headlined by Noah Pola Gates. So I feel good about the secondary. Secondary defensive line I think they're just about there a little more seasoning linebacker they've still got another cycle maybe two uh to really get there uh, when I talked to Troy Walters before spring balls or the day after spring ball started uh he said that they're about a year away on offense from having the kind of athletic and physical profile that they want from their offense do you feel like the offense is is closer to having the depth that, that this coaching staff wants than the defense? That's See, it's, it's tough because quarterback skews that so much and it makes you feel like the offensive depth is better. Let's just take quarterback away from the equation. I don't I actually... Break it down line and the skill position players. I think the line is close depending on how the young guys come in and play and just and that's just assuming that they're good depth right um and um looking at kind of some of the walk-ons that they have along the offensive line that are making moves um hunter miller um oh i'm forgetting trent hickson trent hickson um aj forbes um there that's three guys that are at least one of them i think will start um but three guys that at least hickson uh the other ones at least will provide depth for you um if you have that if you've got two or three walk-ons providing depth and those scholarship guys start to rise up you really do have the, a good mix there so i think they're close on the offensive line um receiver i need to see it like i feel like the talent is there but they're in a really big kind of show-me kind of mode right now mm-hmm. for me. Like, and I, I think that that's something that we're going to talk a lot about going forward as we get closer to the season. Like, not just, like, can Mike Williams and Jerron Woodyard step up? Is Cade Warner going to continue to get better from where he was last year? Is Wandale the real deal? Can Jamie Nance contribute? Will JD Can J.D. find ways to even improve from where he was? There's a lot of guys. But also, is, can Troy Walters mold that group like I feel like that's something that we all kind of dance around but don't really go there and I'm not saying that we should be like throwing arrows at him or anything like that and that he's a bad coach but at some point 
we have to also say he's a big part of that equation as well because that is, I mean, he's the offensive coordinator, but wide receiver coach I think is his primary job. Scott calls it's the plays. Scott calls the plays, yeah. right? So uh, I think that that's going to be a big deal going forward. Um, running back, they have the talent. You just need them to show that. But I feel comfortable that they are, and I feel very comfortable with their coach and <laughs> Ryan Held. Yeah. So I, I think the offense is not far off. I would agree with Walter's assessment that they're one more year away as a whole. Um, but I actually like the overall defensive pieces more right now Ooh. than I like the overall offensive pieces. Interesting. Yeah, that surprises me. Does it? Yeah, I think it, and I'm not surprised. Is it because there's a little bit more? You know more of what you're going to get from the defense. The off, like the offense, to me, it's just I don't know what's happening at center. I don't know what Trent Hickson looks like as a starting left guard. I don't mm. know what the hell is happening at wide receiver. And so that is like, well, okay. Yes. But the defense, I'm like, you've got JoJo Doman and maybe Breon Dixon factors in here, yeah. and maybe Cam Jones factors in at safety and. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, so I think that that is. I feel like the. I feel like I know a little bit more of what I'm going to get from that defense. Plus, I feel like the defensive line will be disruptive this year, and I think that that's a game changer for mm-hmm. this team. I think that that's one. I, to me, the biggest wild card for this team in this season, especially if you want them to make a move and a jump in year two with a soft schedule, is if that defensive line is actually disruptive. It's a game changer for this team, and I think it can happen. I predicted that last year, and any time I make a prediction of, of like, this player or this group is going to be better than they were, they're going to make the jump, I'm always one year off. <laughs> okay, so, so hopefully I'm counting that continues. on you. I'm counting on you. Hopefully that. I, that happened to me with Miles Turner in fantasy basketball. <laughs> okay. And it was the worst season possible. So, And then he did uh, better the next year. So, cool. Greg, thanks for joining Thank you for having me. Yeah. You got work you probably have to do. I, I do. I'm behind. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, we'll let you get to it. Thanks for joining the podcast. We'll catch up soon. Thank you. Now for a little baseball talk. Kyle Cardell has uh, taken Greg Smith's spot at the desk. I'm How you doing, man? Never giving it back either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to be in Dr. PD's office. Yeah, happy to be here. You got to go. I mean, this is the first time we've had you on in like when before we started podcasting. I thought it was like a week, two weeks. I was like, did we have you on last week? And we then we looked at the schedule and was like, oh no, it was like four weeks ago. <laughs> um, we had you on after, so they won the opening the opening season series against UC Riverside, three one or four four zero. It was 2-1. Oh, 2-1. 2-1. And yeah. then they lost all four games against Oregon State, and I basically just asked you, like, which which team is Nebraska? The one that looked good and, and had hot bats against UC Riverside or the one that just got blown out of the water against Oregon State? And you said it's still a little too early to tell. They just played the defending national champions, so don't get too carried away with the hot takes. And since then, they've gone 5-2. and two. They had a big win down in Texas over Texas Tech, who... What were they ranked at the time? Do you remember? At the time, they were number three. Number three? Okay. Yep. And then had a one-run loss to Sam Houston State the very next day, which Game a lot of people were really upset about that one. But I'm like, I, the way I looked at it was, and I think this is the way you phrased it too, they put so much energy into beating Texas Tech. There was a little bit of an emotional letdown the next day. Yeah, you can maybe see that. It was a game that they were up, I think, 9-2 to two and had one bad inning, and that really is what did them in. Uh, well, let's talk about that because that's been something that they've had that they've struggled with all season long. You've talked about it in 
in your three takes before is they they have this one bad inning that kind of derails things. Yep. And really since then, I mean, they've had big wins over Baylor and um, going 2-0 against Air Force as well. And in those games, they haven't had that disastrous inning. Um, but the one loss that they did have against Baylor, they did have that one bad inning that has been kind of haunting them. But um, really, it hasn't been it hasn't been consistent enough to be concerned about. I don't think it's uh, like that that first one against Sam Houston State, um, right after a huge win. Um, I don't know if it mentally they were looking ahead or what what happened. But um, I, I don't really don't think it's something to be concerned about. Um, that's that's what happens in baseball. Sometimes you get mm-hmm. get the bats hot, and one error leads to lots of runs sometimes yeah, lots so. of bad things yep so after that same houston state they had a canceled game against mississippi state they had a postponed game against omaha they had a postponed game against north dakota state and canceled the series against new mexico state um last weekend yep then they got air force a two-game series in with air force at the haymarket park first time at haymarket all season long and it looked good the weather weather-wise it looked good what was the mood of the team finally being able to get outside and, and be able to play here at home? Yeah, it was that first game actually on Tuesday was a it was cold. Um, it was cold and pretty wet, and they had to move the game back a couple hours. Oh, okay. but they were pretty determined to do it. You know, and Erstad he was going to get it in. So um, they the first day was cold. Um, it was kind of one of those games that they've. The coaching staff has talked about where they they've got a group of fighters they they got down came back battled back did exactly what they needed to to just enough to win the game uh showed a lot of fight and then day two on wednesday beautiful day smell of hot dogs popcorn it's baseball weather and they came out and played really well so uh they won that game 12 to 3 so um yeah that's that's a couple quality wins too because air force had um a win over it was a ranked uh, maybe East Carolina team, and they came in with it an eight and five record. So uh, two good wins over an Air Force team that that was a pretty solid team. What's the mood? What's the overall vibe, mood with the team? Feel around the team? Like what, what's the sense that you get when you talk to these guys right now? Yeah, the guys that I talk to are still the young guys, and I think they're. I mean, this was their first game at Haymarket Park, and they're still almost in uh I don't know starstruck but uh that's what's exciting I think is because really the more these guys play the more comfortable they're gonna get the more confident they're gonna get I think it's exciting um really the way they the way they beat Texas Tech and Baylor with great defense and beating a couple of the most high-powered offensive batting teams in the nation Beating Tech two to one, holding them to one run. Yeah, that was impressive. And then beating Baylor two to zero. They're doing some really good things on defense. And historically, with Erstad teams, uh, his good good teams are very good defensively. So being able to shut down two of the best offensive teams in the country like that um, is exciting. If they can be consistent on defense and pitching on the mound like they have. Um, I think their confidence is going to keep going up and up. Health-wise, how's everybody doing? Um, okay. Uh, Connor Curry went down um, with an injury. They haven't 
haven't come out and said uh, if it's season ending yet. It's not not looking great. Um, so on the mound, that is something to keep an eye on. And then last game, Spencer Schwellenbach, the leadoff leadoff batter, big freshman recruit, uh, really rolled his what looked like his ankle pretty bad at first base. Um, haven't got an update on him, but um, he might be out for a little while. But he he was helped off the field, but ended up walking off the field on his own power. So I would expect expect him to be be back. Um, not sure how soon though. Okay. Does this team? Do you feel like this team has the depth to be able to deal with a couple injuries here or there? I mean, obviously not. Nobody can can deal with the sheer like massive injuries that they've had over the last couple seasons. But do you feel like this team has pretty good depth right now? Right now at at pitcher, I I feel pretty good. I mean, against Air Force, um, they really didn't have to use much of any of their big guns, and they came out with two wins. So um, they I assume they're saving kind of their big their big guns for this weekend with conference opener. Mm-hmm. Um, so at pitcher, I, I feel like they do. Those young guys have stepped up with Kyle Perry and Colby Gomez, a couple true freshmen coming in and really contributing well. So pitcher at pitching, they look significantly deeper than last year, and it looks like they they have some young guys that can contribute and add to those, those big guns like the Waldrons and Chads uh, that we know and Fishers that we know can play. Um, they've got some young guys that can play too. Okay. You mentioned you just mentioned this conference play starts this weekend, so we're recording this um, early Friday morning. Conference play begins against Michigan State. They've got a home series that kicks off. It's a doubleheader Friday that starts at three o five. You will be there. What I guess where where do you see Nebraska's place in the Big Ten being this this season? Yeah, I was looking at the standings, and it's kind of funny because uh, they have three to five less games than everybody else because of cancellations and mm-hmm. postponed games. So yeah. it's kind of funny to see their record versus the rest of the, the Big Ten. Uh, right now, they're I mean, if you base it off overall record, they're about right in the middle, but um, really can't base much of that off of the non-conference yet. So um, I, I like where they sit. If they can uh, – I see them as a top-five team, maybe – Maybe better. Um, I don't know. It's it's still early, like I said. Yeah. Um, but they've they've got a good opportunity this weekend to play against a Michigan State team that um, is has has struggled this year. So it could be a good start for the for conference play. Maybe to build some confidence. Um, really would like to get out with two or three wins if you could this weekend against a Michigan State team that that is I believe three and fifteen right now. So. Oh. They're struggling. Okay, yeah, beat them. Yeah, you're gonna want to. <laughs> you're gonna want to come away with with three zero if you can in this series. Um, so it, yeah, it's gonna be another good confidence building weekend. Hopefully, after coming off of a two uh, zero series against a good Air Force team, and if you can start conference play three and zero, that that puts you in good position. Yeah, and then that sets up. Uh, I'm looking at their schedule right now. They've got some fun games on here. Creighton. Yep. At Creighton in Omaha on March 26th, and they've got a Minnesota series, and they go to Manhattan, Kansas for Kansas State on April 2nd, and then Creighton at home on April 9th, and then Kansas State on April 16th. There's some fun games on the schedule. There are, and then you close the close the year at the end of the year against a Michigan team that some people have favored to win the Big Ten. So, um, yeah, it could set up for a big weekend at the at the end uh, end of May there. Interesting. So you think they've got that? 
Okay. All right. We won't put the car before the horse, but I no. like that that you're already talking about a potentially big closing weekend against a team that everybody has favored to yeah i mean to win the whole enchilada so i think that's good i think a lot of people have, have michigan up there so you know they're going to come in with a good team now if nebraska can put it together it could be a could be a fun fun year and fun end of the year i'm so distracted there's a cat in our office right now I'm so distracted <laughs> yeah is Has- that gorman's hashtag. cat it's yeah. hashtag it's hashtag i've never seen cat hashtag before <laughs> yeah i i think I think there's a couple people in the office that are slightly allergic to it, and sometimes they can cause a commotion when hashtag comes out. Oh, wow. Uh, okay, well, I think that is a good ending point then so that we can go <laughs> play with the cat. Right on. Kyle, thanks for joining the podcast. Read him on hailvarsity.com. He will have... He'll have... You do... So when there's a doubleheader on, on the day, you do just one story? I'll do one. End. Yep, one a day, and then I'll do three takeaways tomorrow perfect so he'll have something for you to read friday night and then i'll have something for you to read tomorrow yep and then uh the final game of the series is on sunday we have something on that sunday no there won't be a game sunday oh it's, it's not double header today because of it was going to be friday saturday sunday moved it for weather yep okay cool so saturday he'll have something saturday and then creighton tuesday perfect so follow kyle i can't talk today <laughs> follow kyle on twitter and read his stuff on hillvarsity.com i will link everything in the description kyle Great thank time. you thank you dr pd all right we'll talk soon all right and joining us from i'm assuming uh sunny chattanooga tennessee brandon vogel how are you man doing pretty well uh, it's not too bad so good tournament watching weather how do you feel about the the first two days of the ncaa tournament because i for the last couple years i've said that the these first two days are the best two days in sports do you say the same is that a hot take to you how do you feel about the tournament in the the opening rounds Uh, it's definitely not a hot take it's it's up there um and i mean when you're talking about multiple days i i have a hard time coming up with anything for me that that beats it. Um, maybe that opening Thursday, Friday, Saturday of college football, just because of how much I personally care about college football is, is close, yeah. but you just, it, it's tough. You, you don't get the wall to wall noon to midnight. Um, let's see what happens. And it's, it's, it's pretty tough to beat. I know golf fans have, uh, have the masters and, and things like that. But for me, it's, it's definitely the NCAA tournament. Let's talk about football because that's what we're here to talk about. Nebraska starts August 31st. They have four games before the first, I guess Colorado is kind of a big one, but the first real quote unquote big one on the schedule is Ohio state. And that comes in week five. They'll play South Alabama first and they got Colorado. Then they've got Northern Illinois and Illinois. And then Ohio state comes to Lincoln. Um, Earlier this week, a few early, early lines were released from some of the marquee games around college football this season, and that Ohio State-Nebraska game was on the list, and it was Ohio State favored by 7.5, I believe. Am I getting that right? That's right. What was your initial reaction when you saw that line? Um, it was about about what I thought it would be. And, you know, I, I don't know if uh, – the majority of people were expecting it to be a little bit higher, but figure in two and a half, three points for the home team. You know, that's basically this, this very early line saying Ohio state's about 10 points better than, 
than Nebraska. And I think when Nebraska went there a year ago, obviously much different circumstances, but Ohio State was reeling from a loss and a bye week that was full of like big picture questions. And I think the line there was something like 17. So I do think it's a little bit of a reflection of, of what people think Nebraska can be in 2019. Um, but, you know, we, we saw some early talk about that game, about how from the Ohio State perspective of how they were viewing it as, you know, another potential Purdue or Iowa. Well, this line is is not close to to what those were. I think I think Purdue was a 12 point dog when they beat them last year at Iowa was 17 or maybe even more than that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it sets up pretty well because I think both teams have a really good chance to get to 4-0. Uh, and then that, that becomes a pretty pretty big matchup and a big spot for Nebraska to kind of announce itself early on in year two. Yeah, that's really um, kind of the marquee game um, early on because if they are 4-0, and, and and I've said this to anybody that will ask me the question of, like, what do you think the record's going to be? Like, if they are 4-0 at that point heading into that game, I mean, all bets are off. I mean, if they win that game uh, and, are, and are looking at 5-0 and – um, two and zero in the conference already and you've got a win against Ohio State in your back pocket I mean I feel like the team the the confidence that could come from that um would do wonders for the team because we heard them talk all about how they just needed a little bit of confidence and they just needed to win one last year um over the last couple years this particular game has been like a backbreaker of sorts for Nebraska it wasn't last year um but the line was still big heading into it like you mentioned do you think this one being just a score, just one touchdown, do you think it has more to do with how the general public is viewing this Husker team? Like they've got top 25, way too early top 25 buzz, whatever. Or do you think it has more to do with the fact that Nebraska went to Columbus and to the shoe last year with a freshman quarterback and hung with the Buckeyes? Um, I, I think it's probably mostly a reflection of – Scott Frost and and the buzz building around Nebraska. It's also year two. It's it's the year you're supposed to make a big jump. Um, and, and they've got the quarterback. As you mentioned, anyone who watched the game last year saw what Adrian Martinez was able to do as a true freshman on the road. And now now they get that game at home. Um, they will play, you know, all of the motivational cards that are right there to be played for that one, I assume, in terms of like, hey, let's go out and take this and, and announce to people that we're here, you know, the, the two year stretch of Ohio state scoring on, on every scoring a touchdown on every drive it cared about for, you know, what was it? Seven or eight quarters straight. Uh, that time could be over. And I mean, no, no one game ever truly announces that, but it would be a, a, a pretty big shot across the bow and, and something that would definitely get noticed uh, across college football if Nebraska was able to get a win there and, and you know, and, and there's a part of it too, where Ohio state new coach, I think they're expected to come back to the, the pack a little bit. You know, when you look at the rest of these big 10 lines, um, Michigan is clearly the, this, this sports books pick for the, the class of the big 10, which is, you know, kind of interesting when you look at how much they have to replace on defense, but don't really disagree with it totally. And I mean, granted they're viewed as about two points better than Ohio state right now but still better. When's, when's the last time anybody could say that uh, about the Big Ten coming into a season? I want to pivot just a little bit. You had 
So the the Ohio State is an early line that you had your thoughts on that on in hot reads. That's I'll link to that in the description. Um, go read it on on site on hailvarsity.com. Another hot reads piece that you had, and you teased a little bit of kind of what you wrote in this March edition of Hail Varsity was about Nebraska and playing with a lead and the benefits outside of the obvious that come from an offense playing with a lead. Nebraska played uh, ran just thirty. 0.8% of offensive plays with a lead in 2018. The national average is 39.5%. Uh, you had Clemson and Alabama in there for reference who were at 74%. Um, when you looked at, at that stuff and how it related to winning percentage, how it related to turnovers, how it related to offensive success, what did you find? What surprised you? Um, what were kind of your takeaways from looking at that data? Yeah, that's kind of been my, my off-season obsession is, is playing with, with game state a little bit. Um, and, and I think my, my immediate takeaway is that going down the field and going up 7 nothing or even 3 nothing is way more powerful than we probably give it credit for. Um, you know, in, in this hot reads piece that you mentioned, I looked, so Nebraska, Nebraska's offense was only leading on 30% of the snaps that it took, which is 91st nationally. So they're, they're playing uphill a lot. Um, still, at, but when they, were, when they were leading, they averaged 6.7 yards per play. They're trailing, it was down to 5.8. Um, so, you know, and it's just, it's really interesting when you start to look at other pieces of it. And these are some of the things that I go into in the magazine column in the magazine in March, um, talking about turnovers, partic- particularly interceptions. Um, one of the factoids in there, I think 45% of all the pass attempts in, in college football last year were from a team that was trailing, but they 65% of the interceptions were, which when you start to think about it, it makes sense. You know, you, you have to take some more shots downfield. You have to take more risk. Um, so, so the overall takeaway when we talk about football in general is that get ahead, get a lead. Um, and you're just exerting this kind of quiet pressure that, that nobody really notices in a seven nothing game, but it's there and it's real. Um, so, so that's part of it. And then when you look at Nebraska going into 2019, I certainly factor in that they really weren't ahead very often. Um, and that's, that's one thing that UCF was, was great at in, in 2017, 86% of their, their defensive snaps were, were played with a lead. And not surprisingly, they were top two in both interceptions and uh, turnover margin that year. So these these are the, the things where, yeah, we can talk about all the, the easier parts to see for Nebraska and how they get better in 2019. I think this is a really big one, though, um, and it kind of fits with Scott Frost's mentality. Do you view turnovers and when they happen in a game, do you view that as largely random, or do you view that as something that – an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator or a specific player on the field can, um, can influence. I mean, like, because I looked at, when I looked at P and 10 for our yearbook a year ago and was looking at some of, well, if they got zero yards or if they had a, a, a negative play on the, the first possession of a drive, there was a higher percentage chance that they were going to have a turnover on that drive than if they got like six yards. Yeah. And it wasn't a crazy strong correlation, but there was enough there for me to be like, Oh, well that kind of makes sense. Like, and it sounds like you saw the same thing with with playing with a lead versus playing from behind. And it, 
I mean, when you rational rationalize it out, it makes sense because you have to take a few more shots and you have to be a bit more aggressive. But do you do you still view still excuse me view turnovers as largely random, in when they happen in a game, or or I guess how do you look at that? Yeah, fumbles fumbles definitely are like recovery rates across college football. You know, when you when you look at the nation as a whole, it's always at fifty percent. Like the ball comes out, it's just a coin flip. And, and sometimes the team will recover 80% of their own fumbles and they'll probably have a really good record because of it. And some years they'll recover 20% and they'll probably lose a couple more games than, than they actually should have. But with some of the data that I've been looking at, that rate, so fumbles you know, per play, stays pretty flat no matter what the score is. And, you know, I, and I'm not talking about just the lead. I'm talking about a two-score lead versus a one-score lead versus tied. Um so that line on a graph is, is pretty flat. Interceptions, however, curve up a little bit. Um, I mean, it's not like a, a hockey stick, but there's, there's definitely an increase in interceptions uh, as a team gets farther and farther behind. So I guess the, to answer your question, is it random? I think half of it is, is almost entirely random. The interceptions, um, you put yourself at risk by being in disadvantageous situations which i think is what you were seeing with with p and 10 too so if you're on second and four you've got you've got your whole playbook you can do what you want you're in a good spot if you're on second and nine well depending on particularly if you're on second and nine and trailing perhaps um then you're in some trouble and i mean football (laughs) the more that i look at it is is really kind of a poker game in that you want to get as many of your chips on the table when you have the advantage and you want to be pretty tight when you don't, um, which which stands to reason. But I just don't know how often we actually look at it that way on a down-to-down basis because that's happening every down. Either an offense has the edge or the defense has the edge, and it, it influences all of these things, and it probably has the biggest influence on uh, interceptions, which is half the turnover battle. I want to give this a, a, a kind of a timeliness to it. So Nebraska's... As of recording this on a Thursday night, Nebraska's still on spring break. They're going to come back, have have uh, a couple weeks left of spring practices before the spring game on April 13th. You looked at the percentage of them run, the percentage of plays that they ran with the lead. It was 91st nationally, like you said. What is something or some things that they can work on in the spring that would help that improve? I mean, I think really, so one of the other interesting things they uncovered here is Scott Frost has won the coin flip in exactly half his games. So cheers for probability working out exactly like it should. Um, and has opted to take the ball 14 out of 19 times, which it, and he did it all at once last season in Nebraska. So, I mean, I, I, I haven't had a chance to talk to him about it yet, but I would love to talk to him about this stuff because it seems like a pretty conscious effort to get the ball, go get a lead because, hey, it exerts pressure. So I don't know if there's anything specific. I think it's mostly a matter of just kind of execution. And, you know, those, those opening drives are pretty interesting because they're, they're scripted to a degree, um, which is another topic I'd love to, to talk to Frost about at length. So I, I think just kind of the overall execution, because the mindset is there, and I can only assume that they're talking to those guys about hey, we're going to take the ball, we're going to go down and score, and they're going to be playing from behind, you know, from that point forward. 
and we're just going to try and keep building that. And that's what UCF was so good at in, in 2017. They just got up on teams with, you know, a couple quick scoring drives. So the offense is certainly capable. Um, you know, why didn't Nebraska last year? You, know, you had turnovers on a couple of those opening drives, if I remember correctly, including the first one of the year. Um, so things like that, I don't think there's any magic bullet. You just got to be a little bit better overall, and, and they should be in year two. All right. Pick up a, a, a copy of the the March issue of Hale Varsity and read Brandon's stuff. It's really good. It's always good. Brandon, thanks for taking some time and joining the podcast. Thanks a lot. Back to football next week. Joining us now, fresh off, uh, you're probably just waking up after Wednesday night's game. You probably didn't go to sleep until super late because that game went super late. Jacob Padilla was in PBA Wednesday night for Nebraska's, uh, I guess, opening round of the NIT, opening round 80-76 to 76 win over Butler. Jacob? Hold on, real quick. My first question, who is the else that you're speaking of? Who am I joining besides you? There has been uh, three other people on the podcast so far. But are any of them on right now? Why do you have to do this? <laughs> Jacob's actually not going to be on the podcast, so I'm just going to cancel the timer <laughs> and say goodbye. There we go. Oh, th- well, this is a perfect time then to mention that Jacob's. Uh, we did. We did a. <laughs> you walked into this one. Uh, we did, I did. We did a bracket challenge on uh, NCAA.com, and it was amongst our entire office. And there's something like what twenty twenty. It looks like twenty brackets in here. And Jacob's bracket name is titled Better Than Derek. Jacob, as of Thursday night at 842, is currently tied for last place amongst our coworkers. And my bracket, which is titled The One That's Wrong, so modesty points over here, is in sole possession of first place. I have yet to miss a game. So eat it. Just eat it. I'll make up for it later. Okay. Probably will. <laughs> Who, yeah, see, I, I'm going to win when Gonzaga wins it all. Um, says Christian. Yeah, basically three of us have picked Gonzaga. So I'll, I'll feel better once we get deeper into this tournament and Gonzaga knocks out Duke. Well, I've got Murray State in the Sweet 16. So after John Morant went off, it's looking like a pretty good pick. But if that, uh, if they don't, beat Florida State, then it's probably not going to be so hot for me. I've also got three of the four uh, 12 seeds beating fives, so that's a thing that I have. Yeah, nice. So my Elite Eight's still intact, so um, that's all I'm worried about right now. Well, I uh, I, I, I want to know what happened Wednesday night against Butler because I was not at the game. You and Aaron Sorensen covered it. I was in Oklahoma City seeing Nick Collison's jersey get retired and seeing my Thunder uh, lose again which was very sad and upsetting. Um, but so so I, I've got Hale Varsity's Twitter account on tweet notifications on my phone, and I got um, the, the Thunder game started at 8.30. The Nebraska game started at 8. I got the notification right before I put my phone in my pocket for the rest of the game uh, from you that said Nebraska was down 14-2. to two. Uh, Nebraska can't make a shot. They've got a, a couple turnovers in the last possessions, and Tim Miles has called a timeout. Puts my, I put my phone in my pocket. I pull it out at the end of the game. Oh, 
Look at that. Nebraska won 80-76. to 76. It looks like Isaiah Roby had the best night playing basketball of his life. Talk me through what happened and kind of what you saw, what you took away from the, the opening round win. Yeah, well, first off, I think the start was partly they kind of attribute it to the run in Chicago. I think Johnny Trubod mentioned like they just kind of had to work that work all that off and kind of refocus and get locked in. They mentioned they weren't quite executing the game plan out of the gates. And then they started doing so and they started getting the ball to Isaiah Roby and he started dominating. He uh, literally scored their first 11 points by himself, then assisted a three from Glenn Watson then scored the next bucket. So that's the first 16 points were entirely created by Roby. Um, I, I forgot what the next point after that was, but I know that that, that string at least was all him. Um, they, they battled back to tied at 22, and then it was kind of a close game from there on out. But yeah, they, they knew going into the game that nobody on Butler could guard Roby. And I, they weren't the only one that recognized it. I, I talked with... Chris Schmidt on the uh, radio show before the game about it. I know some other, like Nick Baugh has been railing on that all week. A lot of other people have like have noticed, like, yeah, Butler don't quite have the athleticism or the shot blocking um, to slow down Roby if he's playing well. And boy, did he play well. Career high, 28 points. He only missed three shots. And one of those misses with the step back three at the buzzer uh, in the first half, which was his first miss of the game. He had made his first seven shots and scored 17 of their 31 points in the first half. So they knew they had a good matchup there. They went to it. And then by, uh, in the second half, the other guys got going a little bit. Watson hit some shots and Palmer got going. And um, so Roby finally got a little bit of help and they were able to pull away and uh, kind of secure the win. It sounds like a different game. I mean, we watched 20 point games from Roby throughout the season and, you know, he would have like 21 points on 23 shots or something like that. So, I, I, what kind of shot? What, what kind of shots was he? Ta- how many threes did he take? Yeah, he was one of two from three. He had a wide open corner look and then missed that the step back that I mentioned that was pretty deep. So this was actually a lot like the first Iowa game um, where Butler played a lot of zone and Nebraska got the ball to Roby in the middle of the zone a lot and he made plays. Um, there, a couple of times he popped out for uh, kind of mid-post touches and, or catches in the corner and then attacked that defender when he came out with him. Um, so they did a great job of moving him around, getting the ball in different spots. And he was aggressive and decisive most, most of the time. Um, one, of the, uh, one of his turnovers, um, one of the few times that he got stopped is when he kind of pounded the dribble a little bit too long, took too long to make a move, and they came with a late double and knocked the ball free. So there wasn't a whole lot of that. He was making his move, he was reading the floor, and he was going strong and finishing. That's the most important thing. Like, the shots he was taking, they were actually going in. It was little baby hooks, shots around the rim. He had a lefty finger roll that was nice. Um, he, uh, I know he pulled off a Euro step around a help defender and finished with the left hand. So he kind of had all that going. Um, and it, it was great execution by him and good job by Nebraska getting the ball in spots where he can be effective. Was this matchup specific? A, a, a strong game from Roby. Was this matchup specific and it'll he'll disappear or fade away uh, the next game? Or is this something that you think Nebraska can legitimately roll with and, and be effective with and throughout the rest of this tournament, however long they're in it? 
Well, it was definitely matchup specific, I think, to the degree that we saw with uh, they start a uh, 6'6", 195 pound sharpshooter as their four man. Yeah, he couldn't guard Roby. Um, they've got two 6'10 big guys centers. Yeah, neither one of those guys can stay in front of him either. They threw in Christian David, who's kind of a 3-4 combo forward. Um, he fouled him a few times, couldn't really stay in front of him. So, like I said, Butler didn't have anybody that can guard him. And then their their 3-2 zone also kind of produced a lot of the looks that Roby got, similar to that Iowa game where um, they got him in spots where he could be effective and he didn't he kind of knew what looks he was going to be able to create there. He didn't have to think too much about where's the help defense defender coming from, are they going to double, all that kind of stuff. So um, I think 28 points was definitely a, a result of the uh, of the matchup. But at the same time, the, the, I guess I don't know if they'll continue it because they've kind of needed this all season long, and it only happens every so often. Um, so that, that, that'll – I, I haven't really studied TCU yet to know what kind of challenges they present in their front court, um, but I'll be looking at that soon. I just know Jamie Dixon looks like an evil Bond villain or something like that. <laughs> um, it's the hair. It, it is the hair. It is exactly the hair. That's what does it. We Well, that and the, the whole FBI probe. Um, <laughs> we mentioned this off pod. Um, my initial reaction when I saw the score and pulled out my phone and saw, oh, Nebraska won, was like, oh, my gosh, Tim Miles is going to mess around and save his job. Is there any number of wins that they can get in this tournament that will save his job? I, I guess I don't know for sure, but I don't think it should. I think at this point, you, you've got seven years of data to base your decision on. Five more games, if they make it all the way, um, however many that is. I know it's three, and then you get a Madison Square Garden, so I think four or five potentially, if you go all the way, something like that. That If you're changing your mind based off of five games after a seven-year tenure, then you're not doing your job very well. So at this point, Bill Moose should know what he's going to get, what to expect from a 10-miles coach team. And the the question about what they're doing now, the question that that raises is, why couldn't you have done this before? Because a lot of those games after they lost Copeland, they weren't even competitive. Um, some of the, they put up a fight in a couple of those, but there's some others that got blown out. There's some games where they look really ugly. And so well, the Penn State if, game, the Penn yeah, State exactly. game sticks out That's, like a sore thumb. Yes, that is a hundred percent kind of the prime example of this. So if, if that, I guess that's like, you should have been able to, if, if this is anything more than kind of like a magical run that isn't necessarily, um, replicable, then why weren't you doing it before? So that's the thing. Miles has done a good job. Um, he's uh, pushed the right buttons. He's, he's kind of uh, some good game plans here, him and his assistants both on both ends of the floor. But again, they, they barely made the NIT. They had to go on that run just to even have a postseason. Right. So that doesn't reflect over well overall on their kind of game plan to begin with well miles has been good all season long miles has been good in spots where you can point to and you can isolate sections of a game and be like this is coaching this is purely coaching and look he's doing a good job like they're really good um based on out of bounds plays they're really good out of timeouts and things where he he has to scheme something up or draw something up they're pretty good and they're usually effective 
Uh, but I just wonder how much how much of this right now is coaching and how much of this is you've got a collection of players, a collection of seniors that are that, that realize they are playing their final games at Nebraska and they just don't want to play their last game. And that if that's the case, and I think that is the, the the main motivating factor right now that doesn't do anything for the next four years of your program because these guys are gone it's not it doesn't change the trajectory of your program i am of the understanding that that moose's decision has already been made it's just a formality that he's waiting out to to close out the season um quick yes or no it do you agree with that That, that's kind of what it looks like yes okay um jacob thanks for coming on you probably got work to do um thanks for giving us some time and talking hoops all right thanks for having me last but not least president of the well um fighting to maintain presidency of the johnny trueblood fan club aaron Sorensen. aaron how you doing i'm good yeah i've got i've got some tough competition between isaiah roby and hannah houston so we're gonna have to do this like a battle royale little little fight for the presidency i mean there's also vp and secretary and treasurer but i guess like we all just really want to be president you got to talk to him after uh wednesday's game didn't you did he seem like he's seem like he's uh liking all of this attention yeah so it was actually kind of cool what was different about this week versus previous weeks is because the NIT was running the event, even though it was hosted at Nebraska, we got open locker room access for 30 minutes after the game, which was great. Cause I went into the locker room and outside of a couple outside of our own photographer and a video person from BTN, it was essentially just me in there. And I had a chance to sit down and talk with a lot of the players and one of them being Johnny and he really is not someone who likes attention. He kind of tends to push the attention onto others, but his teammates really want him to have the attention. I could not get through most questions to him without immediately having Isaiah Roby or Tanner Borkhart or uh, Thor chime in and say something about him. Like it was like constant feedback as I was asking him questions. And so he may not love the attention. He may be more apt to push it on, uh, push it on others, but he definitely deserves it. And his teammates are really, really big on trying to make sure he sort of gets some of that attention that is probably very well-deserved at this point. You wrote a really good story on him on, on hailvarsity.com that was basically like he, I mean, he's got a year of eligibility left if he wants it, or he can go be a coach. And he's, I mean, before uh, the Big Ten tournament and before the Iowa game, there wasn't really a decision to be made there. But now, um, I mean, he if he wants to come back, he could come back. I think a mm-hmm. lot of people would be excited to have him back. I don't necessarily know, especially if there's a new coach, um, what uh, as that season would look like for him. Um, because if you've got scholarship players available, I think you use them. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, if they're – and this is – uh, operating under the assumption that there's a new coach. I guess not assumption, but the premise it that seems there fair is a new to coach assume that there will be a new coach. Yeah. Yeah. I guess my point is the the new coach won't owe Johnny anything, so there won't be any. He won't come in and be like, "Oh, I have to put you on scholarship right away." So Johnny will have to continue to work for it. Is it is it more beneficial to him? Do you think to just begin the coaching career now and just kind of ride out on this hot streak and have the statue built? 
So yeah, the, his, his dual statue, one of him as a coach and as a player. Um, no. So here's, what's interesting about this whole thing. And I would, I would encourage people to sort of keep an eye on it. I would say at this point, he's really leaning toward, uh, just starting the next chapter of his life, becoming a coach and putting his energy there. However, where it gets interesting is he really wants to coach at the division one level and would like to be a graduate assistant somewhere to get to that point. So what would be a great opportunity if, if available would be to continue one more year at Nebraska as a player and then immediately move into a graduate assistant role with Nebraska, which for people who have said, you know, like, because the one piece of feedback that story has gotten is, you know, no offense to Johnny, love him, but he won't play if there are scholarship players available, like you said. You're right. But where he's appealing, especially to a new coach, is his understanding of the culture of Nebraska. He has been on this team. He has found himself as a leader. Having somebody like him who can sort of step into that leadership role in a year when you really, really need that as a new coach, somebody who can sort of bridge the gap between the old and the new, that's where he's really intriguing. And so if you're, say, somebody just by the name of Fred Hoiberg, let's say hypothetically, and you could see yourself potentially having a graduate assistant spot available in a year, um, maybe you make that pitch to Johnny of if you stick around, you know, we really want you to be a leader on this team regardless of playing time. And, you know, maybe there will be a, a you know coaching spot for you down the road as a result of it. That's where it gets really interesting for him. So I would say as of right now, he's probably more leaning toward, and this is just my personal like feeling on it. I think he's leaning more toward like moving on to the next step of his life. However, I do think there's a piece of him intrigued by the opportunity of returning for one more year. And he's got a lot of people who want him to do it, including Isaiah Roby, his own brother. Heck, they're trying to talk Tanner Borkhardt into filing his waiver and getting his sophomore season to essentially not count so he could have another year of eligibility. And these are all hypotheticals, but if you're a new coach and you're looking for people who can kind of bridge that gap, it would be really intriguing if you could at least keep one, if not a couple of those guys. I don't know how I feel about Isaiah Roby trying to talk uh, Johnny Trueblood into staying around one more year when it's probably likely he's going to the NBA draft. Well, he was, he was pretty, that whole thing was so funny because he made a comment like we need to be back next year. And I looked right at him. I said, did you say, excuse me, did you say we need to be back? And he like kind of gave that smile that, you know, Isaiah Roby kind of has that coy smile that he has when he doesn't really want to give information away and said, Johnny has to be back next year. So I don't know what's going through Isaiah's mind. I don't know if he's sort of in the same boat where he's trying to see what happens at Nebraska before, you know, making any kind of official decision. It seems like a safe bet he's going to go into the NBA draft. But, you know, stranger things have happened. So I guess we'll see what happens, um, you know, in the next few months. Um, But... I it's it's all very intriguing to me. And regardless of what happens with Isaiah, I got to say again, if Nebraska has a new coach, there is something to be said about being able to retain some guys who can help you sort of bridge that gap. Johnny Trueblood, the legend of Johnny Trueblood would probably be one of the best people to do that for you. Yeah. And any any coach that comes into this situation would love to have a senior Isaiah Roby. Uh, but and and I know Isaiah really likes Tim and really likes being here at Nebraska, but I have a feeling that the the feedback he's going to get from uh, NBA scouts and NBA executives is that it, it's basically like, hey, you got to come out now, otherwise 
you really gotta gotta blow up, have a, like a buddy heel type blow up in your senior season. Yeah. Um, let's let's switch gears a little bit. You wrote a uh, feature for the March issue of Hail Varsity in which you disrespected the hell out of every Taylor quarterback. Yeah, every quarterback. Taylor, no, that Taylor isn't. Martinez specifically. Yes. I, for I one, did. was very upset that Joe Gans was not on the cover. Um, <laughs> so I would like you to address that grievance first and then get into what your story was about. So it's so interesting about this cover is everyone's so focused on the, the few names that are on it. But once you read the story, you'll understand why we selected the names that we did and also why Adrian Martinez's banner is what it is. And it has nothing to do with anyone being included or excluded. In fact, the entire story is basically about if you have been a quarterback, specifically a starting quarterback at the University of Nebraska, you are just inherently a part of this club. So it includes someone like Cody Green. I mean, when I was writing the story and I talked about Adrian Martinez and being a true freshman starter, he's now a part of an exclusive club within the club of, you know, three quarterbacks, three true freshman quarterbacks who have started, you know, again, as true freshmen. Uh, so he joined a club with Tommy Frazier and Cody Green. So it's like you have to talk about all of these guys. Heck, Riker Fife is a part of this club because he has started a game for Nebraska and he inherently understands something that no one else does except for Scott Frost and um, Steve Taylor and whomever. So that was, that's the, that's the whole thing with this story. And I think people, once they get the issue in hand and get to actually see the full design are going to really like it because it's not about excluding anyone. It's about the inclusion of literally anyone who's ever been, a quarterback at the University of Nebraska and how they all understand something no one else does. And I'm really excited to tell that story. But like I said, the, the banners that were chosen for the cover were really chosen because you can only put so many banners on a cover. I mean, if we were trying to include everyone, you'd be just listing people's names. There would be no design. It would just be lists. But everybody like Brooke Behringer, he is very, very well represented inside Taylor Martinez is well represented in the issue as well. Um, but you've got Vince Ferragamo. Um, you have, gosh, uh, Gadowski. Um, I mean, the list just goes on and on. So is Patrick O'Brien in it? I did not specifically mention him, but technically he would be. Well, I mean, he is technically a part of it. Tristan Jubia, too. So once you've been in the once you've been well, in the P. club, he started a game, didn't he? That's right. No, nah, did he? Did he? No, that's because Tanner Lee came back. No, he just played a half. Okay, never mind. I mean, but still. No one cares about Patrick. <laughs> but I mean, even think of like, I, I said that to you guys. Like when you think of guys over the years like um, Brett Lindstrom or. Um, uh, Your favorite, well, Riker Fife. Riker Fife, but he did actually start a game. But like even like even Johnny Stanton. There are a number of guys who come through this program or have, you know, dating even the backup role for Nebraska at quarterback, but they, they understand something different. And so that was really the point of this story is just sharing this bond between all of these quarterbacks. So you already have the bond of brotherhood on a team, but within those teams, you have your position groups and there's something really inherently special. And I keep saying inherently, but it is true. There's something special about the quarterback specifically because Scott Frost said it. When you are, when things are going poorly, the people who take the blame are the quarterback and the head coach. When things are going well, the people who take the success 
are the quarterback and the head coach. That is just how it is at Nebraska. It is how it is most places, but there's just a very pointed microscope in Nebraska. And for that reason, this group of quarterbacks of all generations have each other's backs. They hang out, they talk to each other, they text, they golf, they do all these things because they get it. They all understand what the other is going through. And that includes even sort of the freshman pledge being uh, Adrian Martinez. And I almost said Taylor Martinez, but he is not. It's, it's his dad. That's okay. It's his dad. The family. What was, uh, real quick, what was one thing that didn't make it into the story that almost made it into the story? Oh, wow. There's like a couple of things where I, that's the hard part. So many people don't realize like how much stuff gets talked about and how much mm-hmm. just ends up on like the drawing room floor. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I talked to Frost for almost a half an hour. And so there are things that, you know, he talked pretty much like nonstop for like five minutes about all of the quarterbacks he could name. It was pretty impressive. He's like, you know, you can't forget Tommy Armstrong and, oh, you can't forget this guy. and Oh, you can't forget this guy. And like, if I, you know, had the ability to just like print that, I would have, but he, he had all of these things to say about them. But the cool thing about what Frost did is like when he was going through this list of like, you can't forget this guy and this guy and this guy, he talked about, you know, you can't forget Tommy Armstrong because he was really exceptional when he was here. And he did say that when Frost was hired, Tommy had reached out and basically said, I wish I still had eligibility because I would have loved to have played for you. Just knowing that you have that experience as a Nebraska quarterback. So I thought that was really cool didn't really fit the overall story it would have felt very like here's this cool quote but I have no place to put it here but that was something that I thought was neat was because Frost has such an appreciation for all of Nebraska quarterbacks and he's just like naming them off he's like oh yeah and Tommy Armstrong you know he said this thing to me and it meant so much to me that he would feel that way that he would want to come play for a former quarterback but I mean you see the bonds that tie them together Turner Gill was a quarterback at Nebraska and he ended up coaching some of the greatest quarterbacks at Nebraska. So it's funny how that works out, but um, yeah. And like, Oh gosh, Eric Crouch had some funny stories that he was sharing about just like, you know, obviously the story with him is he was going to leave the team and then he did not And he's glad that he did not And it just, it's just interesting to hear how, for as much as things change, so much of it remains the same. And so I can see why all of these quarterbacks get along so well because they've all been in the same boat at one point or another. Cool. Read the story. Pick it up. Yeah, stop yelling about the cover. (laughs) (laughs) No, if you do, don't direct it in the Hale Varsity mentions. Just send them to Aaron Sorensen on Twitter. Yeah. No, it's been been very entertaining because – People, people are very passionate about who they think should be represented on the cover. And you know what? It's not a controversial story, nor is it controversial design, and people will see that when they get it. Um, but, you know, it tells me that people care, and the quarterback position is something that people really care about. So, you know, enjoy it. It's, it's a fun story to tell. Yeah, the mentions were just like a who's who of Nebraska quarterbacks. Well, what about this guy? Well, what about this what guy? About what this about guy? this what guy? What about this guy? Like, there are people, like, somebody, like, named, like, the backup quarterback in, like, 1992. And it was, like, for real? Like, applaud him. But you want that guy on the cover? <laughs> yes. It was so fun. But, 
like I said, when people read the story, the names that are on the cover will make sense, but then they will also realize those are not the only banners that are hung in the fraternity of Nebraska quarterbacks. If you have been one, you have a banner, and it is there, and you are as much a part of the club as anybody else. Good we are not a part on. of the club. We would like to be, but we are not. We'll just start but. our own club. <laughs> yeah, we can do that. The Johnny won't... True Blood Fan Club. <laughs> we, we won't include Jacob. Oh. Oh, perfect. Aaron, thanks so much. You've got work to do, I'm assuming, probably, maybe. I have a story to edit from Jacob. Of all oh, there people. you go. Cool. Thanks for joining the podcast. We'll catch up next week. Thank you. As always, readhailvarsity.com. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on on social stuff, basically. Um, follow the people that were, were on the podcast today to talk. They'll have coverage of basketball, baseball, football, all kinds of things. Greg Smith with recruiting, Kyle with baseball, Jacob with basketball, Aaron with, um, I guess, Riker Fife. So he, she'll have your Riker Fife news. We will be back next week with another podcast. And I guess, yeah, just hail varsity all the time.